Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is critically acclaimed. No, I won't do that anymore. <laughs> was that your Was that your Fabio? Greetings, friends. Welcome to Critically Acclaimed. It's the film review podcast where, where we are Fabio. Where we are Fabio. <laughs> My name is Whitney Fabio Seibold. I'm a film critic, and with me, as always, is the utterly brilliant and dash handsome Fabio. Fabio. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> I am Fabio. <laughs> I am a professional critic, and everybody calls me Fabio. Why are we Fabio Fabioing? Uh, I, you might ask. It's because I found I found uh, a book in, in front of us uh, on the table. Before we get to the film reviews, yeah. which we'll get to. Yeah, we but, have we have some movie reviews this week. But we have something more exciting to share. I I found a book. Uh, so you might recall uh, in the heyday of the romance novel, like the eighties and nineties, and I maybe still to this day. I honestly, don't know if Fabio is still doing it or well, not, but. F- Fabio, maybe not so much, but right. romance novels have never oh, no. gone away. They're, no, 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 they're no, no, no. forced I, to be read no, across no, history. Romance novels are a highly successful and billion-dollar book industry. A lot of people read them. I have no slight whatsoever to the genre, mm. whatsoever. But there was this interesting period where one model was like male model was on the cover of seemingly mm. every romance novel in the eighties and nineties, and that man's name was Fabio. And Fabio was this incredibly worked out, a lot of muscles, yeah, chiseled big. features, giant, like flowing blonde locks. His, his hair was like his signature. Like he had a yeah. yeah, big sort of Miles O'Keefe chin and yeah, very, yeah, very he, he looked sharp like cheekbones. Conan's sexier brother. Like yeah, that's like, what you got that, out yeah, of him. Yeah, that supermodel yeah. Chippendale's physique and yeah, gigantic yeah. hair. Yeah, and he was he was incredibly popular and a lot was of people, a, a lot of people an swooned. Italian and, model, yeah. And uh, I found out that not only did he model for romance novels, uh, he also wrote or co-wrote or possibly uh, put his or, name on someone's ghost-written yeah, novel. I was about to say was actually let me hand, hand that book to me. Yeah, there's another name on here. It says Fabio, and I'm sure I'm sure he trademarked his own name. Oh, I'm that, sure that he was did. His, his real first name, I think, is Fabio Lanzini. Uh, I, I don't know. I forgot his actual real yeah. last name. Uh, let me look. Up. If you look on the inside, it'll mm. say like, "Oh, here is Viking." Is the title of the book? Yes. Uh, by Fabio in collaboration with Eugenia Riley. There you go. Now there is no way Eugenia Riley is the actual ghostwriter's actual name either. I don't know, man. I don't know. They've worked mm. with Fabio multiple times. They also worked L- on a Lanzoni. Rogue. Lanzoni, excuse they, me. They also worked on Rogue mm. and Pirate and a Bushwhacked in Time Wedding. <laughs> a time travel Christmas. Eugenia Riley's been around the block a few times, yeah. but I was particularly enticed by this particular Fabio novel uh, because it, you know, you would imagine, okay, so he's a Viking and he does sexy Viking things, right? Mm. You would be wrong. Here it's, it's is a the plot. More high concept than Here's that. the plot. This is the, this is just like the two sentence description on IMDb on uh, Amazon.com. Mm. Preparing to film a Viking epic, movie star Marcello 
is transported back to Viking times, where he becomes a king caught between two warring tribes and meets a beautiful, captive French princess who happens to resemble his real-life love. So basically, it's like that John Candy movie, Delirious, except instead of John Candy winding up in a soap opera, it's like Fabio winding up in a romance novel. Yeah. At least that's the pitch, and that's a hell of a pitch. D- would you like me to read the dedication? Sure. I dedicate this, and all my works, to women. The guardians and teachers of love for all humankind. Lot to unpack there. Yeah, Lot good. to unpack stay, there. Stay classy, Fabio. Stay classy, Fabs. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we had to uh, share. Yes. We had to share. We, we have film reviews for you. We but, do. But this book takes, this, far, takes far more far more. Fabio, Fabio was, was the captain of our hearts for a minute there. Uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing the new releases, Pixar's Turning Red, uh, The Adam Project... Uh, the new uh, Shutter horror thriller, The Seed, and a movie that apparently came out a while ago. I missed it. Whitney saw it on while well, he had a few days on vacation. Uh, and I, he's really eager to talk I to you to about <laughs> Diana the Musical. Uh, yeah, Diana. And let's start with Diana the Musical because it's an old one. So we'll do a little catch up. Okay. If, if we may. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, this was. Really this stuck. is why you're really here, and you know, we went from the, Fabio to Diana, Diana the, musical. the musical. Yeah. Uh, so Diana the musical was released on Netflix uh, back in October of 2021. Oh my so, so this, god! This, this, this is like months six old. months old. Yeah, this is like, months old. This is a while oh back. But it got nominated for a bunch of Razzies. I know the Razzies are meaningless, but uh, yeah, they, they called they attention zero, to a film. You didn't, yeah, they, you didn't they know. They zeroed in on this one, and I, I hadn't heard about this. Diana the Musical is a film stage production of a Broadway musical that uh, was a victim of COVID. Uh, oh. It was set to open right when COVID was uh, in full swing, when, right when lockdowns were happening. They filmed a rendition of it and put it on, you know, without an audience, yeah. you know, obeying all COVID protocols. Right. Much like they did Hamilton. Hamilton yeah, didn't have so, an audience when they filmed it. I, I, didn't they? I thought it was like so. several live performances edited together for Hamilton. I think it might have been um, maybe a combination. I actually uh, don't know. Actually, you know what? Was, I might be wrong about There that. was no audience for this version of, yeah. of Diana. And it is a musical version of the life of Diana, Princess of Wales. Ah. Uh, the, the subject of the movie Spencer, if, you're, if you need to catch up a little bit. Sure. Um, and it's as unseemly as that sounds. Oh, no. <laughs> now, the, the music is... I guess fine for a Broadway musical. It's like catchy in that really obnoxious sort of way uh-huh. where you'll find yourself humming to it in spite of yourself. Yeah. But the lyrics are very simple. Okay. And it tells the story of Diana as she was uh, you know, proposed to by Prince Charles and the big wedding and sort of the terror she felt being the Princess of Wales. Now, right. if you watch Spencer, it turns Diana into this very... Uh, tragic depressive figure it focuses very much on how isolated she was right. uh, while living in buckingham palace and how she had a few moments to bond with kids but never really had an ally especially not in her husband least of all in her husband mm. uh who and she was always expected to essentially act the part of the royal while you know subsuming every detail of her personal life she wasn't allowed to be a person uh this musical uh they bond over going to the opera uh, that is diana and charles and the first one of her uh, musical numbers is at heart she's really a rock and roller and all the musical oh. kind of like springs out into all this rock and oh. she's singing about how inside she's really want, wants to be a rock and roller she's like a wow. free spirit and she goes through all of this uh, mm-hmm. there's a number sung by the paparazzi who follow mm-hmm. her around 
uh, and how she is just an object and how that really kind of mm. uh, sits poorly with her. Well, as it would. Yeah. Uh, um, Charles, it's pretty well known now, was having an affair with yeah. a married woman all throughout their his marriage. And really had. openly so. Everyone yeah. knew about it. Like, Every, at least everyone in the family knew. Anyway. And... I think he couldn't marry his intent. His uh, Camilla pers- Parker Camilla. Bowles had previously been divorced, mm. and at the time that was considered such a scandal that it was not mm. even conceivable even that he though, could marry. Her. Even though they were having uh, having an affair, and sure. they just continued having a, having an affair when he married Diana. Um, D- uh, Diana also had a five year affair while they were married. Yeah, uh, and when they introduced the man she had an affair with. Uh, Peter Hewitt, I believe was his name. Mm. Uh, he shows up like on a horse with his shirt off, talking about what a, like a sexy Fabio type of fellow he was. Uh, and what this musical is doing is sort of giving this push and pull between Diana's desire to be with Peter Hewitt, but also repair her marriage with Charles. And also be and, a rock star. And, and also be a rock star on the inside. And the... <laughs> What this musical does is actually put a lot of the sympathy in all of this story on Camilla, because Camilla is the one who's been having an affair with Charles, who's, and he's the one who's trying to keep up appearances by being mm-hmm. a royal with Diana. But Camilla is the one who's saying, well, but you love me. Mm-hmm. You had to leave me, you were, the woman you were already having an affair with, yeah. to go marry this other woman. And I don't like that you're constantly leaving me to go back to this woman you clearly don't love that you married. Yeah. So it's kind of the Camilla story. That's really weird. It's really bizarre. And not they, that you couldn't you, tell that story from Camilla's perspective and make an interesting story well, out make of it. Camilla the musical then. Don't well, make it Diana the musical. Weird musical, but yeah, it's okay. Are, look, after Starlight Express, all bets are off. Okay, well, you can make a I musical was, about it. I was looking this up, and the music was done by David Bryan. Do you know who David Bryan is? No, I'm he was not a familiar. keyboardist for Bon Jovi. Oh God! <laughs> and on top of that, all he he done a little work. Uh, uh, he won a Tony for for the musical Memphis. Okay. And he had also done, I believe, the music for the Toxic Avenger stage musical. Oh, fun. Okay. So well, that's, that's more appropriate for the Toxic an, Avenger stage it's musical. It's an interesting choice. Uh, I would have gone maybe with Di- someone British. Diana. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not some guy from Jersey. I don't know. Diana. Um, New get, Jersey, not actual Jersey. Not Jersey. Jersey, Jersey would make sense. Jersey would, would, <laughs> Jersey would fill uh, the criteria quite nicely. Diana gets her revenge on her situation okay. by being the the tabloid star. Right. And there's a song uh, about, it's called Fuck You Dress. Uh, and <laughs> how she, she puts on the fuck you dress and like is extra sexy in public. And yeah. she gets all of the paparazzi attention and that's her way of sort of like thumbing her nose at yeah. the royal family. That was actually, that was one of the more brilliant mm. things about her in that situation. She was going through hell and she had like an eating disorder and mm. it was really horrible for her and her whole family. But, she knew how to manipulate the media. Mm. She knew how to get them on her side and and, and, order, and to keep attention on her as a positive figure rather than just wither into the background as yet another, mm. you know, another royal. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's mm. good to have that, I guess. But I love the, I love they, the idea they, of the fuck you dress. They, it sounds, they, they it sounds satirical. It, it, if it were campier or more fun, it would be. But this is played totally earnestly. Oh, and they're... They downplay a lot of Diana's depression. Like, they mention her, her eating disorder. They right. mention that she was a cutter. Yeah. Uh, but they don't really, like, face that head on. And they're trying to make uh, Diana's life seem like the life of a tabloid writer. Who, right. There's um, the same actress who plays uh, Queen Elizabeth also plays a famous tabloid writer who was ah. writing her story at the time. Interesting choice. So they're trying to make her life seem like it was a tabloid. 
Okay. Which means they're downplaying a lot of uh, the less sensational things and playing up the more sensational things. And if they were really kind of going camp with it, maybe that it would be tasteless. But, you know, but there's a place for tastelessness, I suppose. Sure. Especially yeah, if it's... you're trying to make a campy musical about the, the tragic life I'm not of saying, a, a look, fallen I'm, celebrity. I'm not saying it's impossible. Like, Diana's life was very, very tragic. Mm. But I'm not saying there isn't uh, a, a way to approach that with some wit, Mm. You know, but um, this 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 doesn't sound like the best possible version of that. No, and uh, it it really just crashes into the ground when they try to address Diana's uh, charity work. No, where she actually had like causes. Yeah, and she was nominated she was, for a Nobel Peace Prize for like she, trying to get um, rid of like landmines that were still killing uh, the people. Landmines yeah. was a, like which they just kind of mentioned in passing. Yeah. But the musical number is devoted to the fact that she visited AIDS patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the at a time pati- when that was not a thing. One people of the patients yeah. has a number. He is like the most stereotypical like supporting gay character oh. you could imagine. <laughs> Where he like says like doesn't have character. He's just sort of like this yeah. jumble of stereotypes. Who sings this number about uh, thank you for coming to visit visit us poor beleaguered oh come gay on gay man in in the AIDS no, ward. No 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 no, 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 no I don't no. want you. Yes, I'm glad for your publicity and uh, like oh, it's that sounds it, awful. It turns like the yeah, this really kind of hero like, worshipy shit and uh, like it oh, was good golly. that people were actually like willing to like bring those issues to light because a lot of people really weren't but let's in, not in go, real life yes yeah, yeah in real life but <laughs> let's not musical. go but let's not go fucking nuts uh, and give her all the goddamn what the yeah the, i can yeah, only imagine diana would find that distasteful uh, you know i like, think diana would find a lot about what we're talking about her life even a movie that is ostensibly very tasteful like spencer uh-huh. uh to be perhaps tasteless like she wouldn't yeah. want that kind of stuff necessarily out in public it's hard more. To, it's hard to imagine that she yeah. would be totally down with it yeah yeah um, so we're, we're trying and she, the fact yeah. that publicity and paparazzi was what ultimately killed her yeah uh, like pretty explicitly she was being chased into a tunnel by paparazzi yeah. and cars and got into a car wreck yeah paparazzi killed diana and yeah. that, that more publicity yeah. and all these stories about her life however earnestly we're trying to contend with what we did was just i don't think would sit well with her at all no i think just let diana be yeah don't give her diana the musical she would have hated well, that 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 just sounds that just sounds like a tasteless way to handle it it's yeah. not like again i'm not i haven't seen uh the crown i hear that's a very good series mm. i haven't seen it i don't know uh i, know, I thought I know spencer, I thought spencer did a good enough awards. job about trying to get people into her headspace yeah but mm. even then it's played off like kind of a horror movie one could argue mm. that might not be the best way to do it, but yeah, well, I, I think they were pretty sedate and, like yeah. I said, tasteful. Spencer, I thought yeah. was pretty a tasteful movie. Yeah. Um, the actress who plays Princess Diana in this, her name is uh, Gianna DeWall, and she—it's not her fault. Okay. She's actually perfectly fine. Well, that's nice. uh, you know, and they dress her up in all of uh, like actual outfits that Diana wore, like famous mm. famous suits and yeah, dresses yeah, yeah. that she wore. Very and famous. They recreated a lot of, a lot of those outfits that she wore, and and you know. They give her the hairdo, and you know she she plays it to the amount that a Broadway role of this scope demands of her. Like she, you know, yeah. sings all the songs incredibly well. Uh, it's it's not really trying to go into this really emotional space. It's trying to play it up for the stage, yeah. and yeah, it doesn't sound very good. Golly, it is so terrible. Well, 
I, in, do, in a way feel, that's almost amusing. Well, uh, do you feel do you feel enriched for having gone through this experience, negative though it may have been? Do you feel it, like your so, like your life is more complete? It was now? so negative I had to share. It was okay. so negative that I, I kind of want people to see this disaster. Okay. Uh, because it is so ill advised mm. and everything just the tastelessness just mounts with each passing scene. Oh my god. Uh, this this aggressive tabloidization it, it almost feels like a simpsons parody of a musical oh well that's good i remember uh, um i was talking we reviewed a few months maybe last year sometime mm. uh the clint eastwood lee marvin western musical paint your wagon oh, God. Uh, which is that was awful which yeah. is really awful not not that it directly compares to this but it it was a simpsons joke Mm. That uh, they rented a Lee Marvin Clint Eastwood Western thinking it was going to be super badass and we're like uh, and shocked and horrified to find out that it was a musical. They, Apparently, they, they made up fake songs for they the did. Simpsons version. But they yeah. did, uh, but it's not that far off. And um, Gonna paint that wagon. Gonna, gonna paint, paint it fine. Gonna, yeah. gonna paint that wagon because that wood is pine. <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, I, I found out when we recorded that and I mentioned it to some people that apparently a large portion of a certain people of a certain age who grew up watching The Simpsons hmm. thought that Paint Your Wagon was a joke movie. <laughs> it's a real movie. They didn't realize that was an actual film. They thought they made up a, a movie that was so ridiculous it couldn't possibly exist. Real film. Yep. Real film. Um, well, listen, you, we're going backwards this time. Normally we start with like the biggest movie. Mm. And this time we started with a movie that you should have seen six months ago. So let's just go. Let's just work, keep working backwards. Let's keep moving, working right. back to front. And uh, let's talk about a movie that I saw on Shudder this week. It's a new right. film. Uh, it is called The Seed. Is it? It's the bad seed, isn't it? No. Oh, it's not. Okay. No. Is, is it Demon Seed? The, the Julie Christie not killer really. computer no, movie. No, no, uh, no. There's There might be some overlapping elements, but not really. All no. Right. Um, no, The Seed uh, is a film about three young women. Uh, one of whom is an Instagram influencer. Another one is, I think, her publicist, and another one agreed to come in to like take pictures right. of her. They go to a really fancy house in the middle of the desert right. to, to to watch a meteor shower and take sexy photos like, for the for the Instagram. That's that's in, sure Instagram. Yeah, yeah got but it. but in the middle of the meteor shower. Something falls in their pool, <laughs> and it smells like shit. It and smells they talk bad. about it a lot about how and, bad it smells. About it smells like an actual. Like there's actually like uh, they they actually theorize that maybe like a plane up uh, overhead had like dumped its like lavatory oh, load. <laughs> okay, and it landed in the yeah, pool because it's so grotesque. It just smells that bad. Uh, We're off yeah. to a good start here, by the way. Uh, you know what? I appreciate that though. Yeah, because film is a visual medium. And they have to be able to communicate something that they, we can't get through the film. I think that's uh, that's a good way to enrich a film or a book. Yeah. But it turns out that, it things. turns out that the thing in the pool it's is poo. alive. It's poo monster. It's a lot. No, it, it just smells oh. like one. Uh, they have trouble describing it. And at one point, the one so like there's the two that are supposed to be kind of ditzy, and the one that's supposed to be smart. Mm. And the one that's supposed to be smart, the best they can come up with is uh, it looks like an armadillo made a bear. Mated with a bear? No. Made a bear. Made a bear. Uh, out of bear parts. Out of mud and stick. Like I mean, it went to a Build-A-Bear workshop, I guess, and made this you thing. You know what? That's certainly evocative. Okay. I often picture armadillos sculpting so things. So they've got claw. this weird, grotesque, smelly 
injured alien <laughs> thing in their backyard. All right. All right. And All the right. middle act is just them debating what to do with it. Trying to get the pool boy to do something about it. It's a lot. Is it doing anything? It's, just know it's, it's alive. It's it's whining a lot. Like it's like, it's like really yeah. yeah. I know. Every once in a while we get a good look at it, and it looks like uh, imagine imagine an off brand Triumph the Insult comic dog. Oh, okay. Covered in KY. Like that's. It's just like a goopy. Hand it looks like puppet. a goopy hand puppet, All and right. it's really in there. Keep talking about how gross it is. Oh, it's so disgusting. And then later on, they finally bring it into the house, and that's when. It starts getting sexy. Oh no! And I don't know what the fuck to do with anything happening right now. There's um. First off, if you're gonna make a movie that's just three people hanging out in a house, make them interesting people. Is that is that a lot to ask? Mm-hmm. I would just like something of of note, some hint of character. And if you have their characters, could you maybe have them be consistent? Like the one who says that the the sh- the show insists is the smart one, the not vapid one. Maybe when people like reference obscure history stories. It should be that character doing it and not the other characters who are supposed to not be smart. Like, that's weird, and I just don't know where we're supposed to be getting out of that. It's just not anything of interest going on. And then, um, if we're gonna do a story about monster sex, fine. <laughs> Lots of horror stories are about monster sex. Mm. The Shape of Water is about monster sex. I've, she, like, I've, I've seen plenty of fine films where people yeah. have sex with monsters. Yeah, like it's there's something about there's an allure to a monster. It's forbidden. The, yeah, a, it's, there's a forbidden yeah. element to it. They represent the outsider. Or um, an untamed libido, that kind of something. thing. Something. There's a million different things you can do with a story about monster sex. And ultimately, all this really comes across as is this like really demeaning film about really poorly written women characters who do really shitty, horrible things, and then really bad things happen to them physically, and it feels really demeaning and misogynistic. It's about three young women at a remote mansion having sex with a monster. Eventually, yes. Is this a David Dakota movie? I wish. David Dakota would know what to do with this. (laughs) David Dakota would understand that this is supposed to be kind of appealing in some way. Well, or at least titillating. (laughs) Yeah. This movie doesn't seem to understand that. Yeah. Like it doesn't. It doesn't understand it wants to be titillating, but it also seems to be afraid to be gross. This feels almost like a trauma movie, like but okay, like trauma the, mo- the kind of like raunchy sense of yeah. Humor. Like we're listen. We we have a stupid fucking premise. There's a real gross thing that fell into mm-hmm. our backyard, and we're debating about what to do with it while we mince around in bathing suits. There would at least be some sort of, you know, prurient, unsavory thrill to that, and. This isn't smart enough to say something meaningful about their situation at all. The mm. plot doesn't make enough sense once you actually get right down to brass tacks yeah. for it to function as a literal story. And as a metaphor, it's just cruel to all of these characters and really makes it seem like we're here because we hate them or that we don't like them. And at which point I'm like, why would we spend so much time with them? Mm. It's not like it's a slasher where we're like having like, we're looking at the what the filmmaker thinks of are the dregs of humanity and mm. having them get their comeuppance by some kind of spirit of vengeance. Yeah. Which, you know, is a little unsavory as well, but at least it's a codified genre and we know why it works. Here, it's just, it's cheap. It's extremely poorly acted. 
the monster is absurd looking and they keep trying to make it look they keep trying to tell you it's scary and i'm like no it looks like triumph the insult comic dog's puppy like it doesn't work it's so fucking weird if it were actually triumph the the insult comic dog then you got a movie yeah you have an actual movie here, and hey, I don't know what it is, but it's a hey, weird movie. Hey, girls, this looks like a great movie for me to poop on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, Triumph the Comic Dog goes to his palatial estate for the weekend, mm. and then aliens fall from the sky with him and all of his girlfriends. Yeah. And, and make the puppetry, like, as yeah. awful as possible. Well, yeah. There's a movie. I'm not saying it's necessarily a good movie, but there's a movie there. <laughs> like, I don't think you're going to win any awards with that movie, but there's, there's an undeniable, like, appealing pitch there somewhere. Mm. This is just mean cheap mm. and boring Ugh. and i don't really feel the need to go into much more detail than that because i don't think the movie warrants it suffice it to say <sighs> too early to call it one of the worst films of the year <laughs> it's still march but it's one of the worst movies of the oh year my God. it's it's in there if it's not if it's not in the bottom 10 we're in a lot of trouble this oh, is gonna be a bad year but uh, yeah, this this movie, I, and it's it sucks because I I've, I've been of the opinion mm. that Shudder has had, generally speaking, pretty good taste in the movies that they acquire their original yeah. films. Um, they're not all great or classics, but there there's usually something clearly to recommend them from their playful gore or a really interesting premise or uh, they, an interesting cultural horror film that maybe would have trouble yeah. finding wider distribution but uh because they're you know because it's from a different place in the world and maybe it'd be a hard marketing sell mm-hmm. in wide theatrical release right. but shutter finds the home for it and they know how to make get it its audience and, i don't know the, what they saw in this one i mean they they do occasionally put forth like something really disgusting sure. or some schlock. just for its own uh, sake yeah, yeah. like um they, they were the ones who put uh yeah porno porno uh yeah. they they put together that uh really uh cheap looking and kind of raunchy critters uh tv series yeah, but i understand the appeal of this yeah, yeah i don't um, understand the appeal of this i do not understand yeah. what i'm supposed to be getting out of this mm. other than uh we made a cheap and unpleasant monster movie All right. It doesn't really work, so uh, it's a bit of it's a big old disappointment. That's too bad. Yeah, yeah. Shutter Shutter has a great, pretty good track record. Oh yeah, I'm, um, I'm not I've saying I'm, some I'm not mad at yeah. them, but like this this is clearly like hmm. this is a swing and a miss from Shutter. Oh, usually, okay. usually they're they're they have a better better curated better taste. Yeah, 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 they curate their films a little better than this. This is right. a, this is a real bummer of a film. Uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about a new another streaming film. Hmm. Let's talk about The Adam Project. The Adam Project. This is the latest film from a director named Sean Levy, uh, who has, uh, you know, I, I think it's safe to call this uh, director a journeyman. Uh, he's worked yeah. uh, in a lot of just sort of very edge-free, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes very effects-heavy, yeah. very well-selling, very low-ambition mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood pap. Yeah, he, uh, he directed like some, uh, some light romantic comedies. He did Night at the Museum movies. He um, did the, the remake of Cheaper by the Dozen with Steve mm-hmm. Martin. He did Big Fat Liar. Uh, which I, I've heard has like a bit of a cachet with people a certain age, but I haven't seen the Sure. Uh, he did he did the first uh, Steve Martin Pink Panther movie. Yeah, which is all right. Which is actually pretty funny. He I'm did, not, I, did, nothing, I don't think against that one. He did Date Night, which is all right. He did uh, Real Steel, which is probably his best movie. Well, I think Real Steel is uh, interesting. It's sort of the outlier here because you look at like his other stuff, like The Internship mm-hmm. with like Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. There are these just generic 
Pablum movies. And then I did Real Steel right in the middle there. And Real Steel was an interesting film because it's actually like very much in that Amblin Entertainment yeah. sort of way. It's a story about a young boy who bonds with his father over the course of a summer while they compete in robot wrestling. Robot boxing Whatever Robot boxing Like the idea is that Boxing has been outlawed So now everyone Boxes with automatons That are really cool looking And they find one In a scrap heap And they make it An underdog Rocky type robot Mm. And Real Steel Slaps Real Steel is a pretty Danged good PG-13 family Sci-fi adventure film For for everyone The whole family I think it's PG even Is it even PG? It's it's a pretty gentle movie For a good one No it's PG-13 It's PG-13 For robot violence No doubt I I think it's It's fine for kids Like a 10 year old Oh I would show this To almost any kid I would show it To almost any kid It's no weirder Than any action Cartoon show They'd find on TV Any Avengers movie There's no more violence Than any of that And it Like you said Has that Amblin quality And I think Spielberg Produced that one yeah. so um Am- amblin entertainment is spielberg's production company yeah uh and he then he did a film called free guy just last yeah. year which is a pretty big hit uh, i still haven't seen Ryan it ryan reynolds and uh, that was a, a little bit high concept for a film of, yeah. of sort of of this pedigree uh, it's about a non-player character in a video game who like, gains g- sentience. Gain sentience and like kind of yeah. starts undoing the game from inside and the, fun the idea yeah, fun i idea. heard it was pretty good it's still gone around to it's it. pretty good there's yeah. some really stupid things in it uh it doesn't really delve as deep as I think it would have liked in sort of the artificial intelligence aspect. But yeah, there's some fun stuff. In Fair it. enough. Um, the Adam Project, Sean Levy is going full bore back into Amblin territory. Yeah. Um, this is not produced by Spielberg. This is a Netflix film. Uh, but yeah, he, he's reteamed with Ryan Reynolds, who is in Free Guy. And uh, the premise is Ryan Reynolds uh, is a jet pilot with access to a time-traveling jet. In the future, in like the, the year twenty fifty, it's twenty fifty, and he goes back in time and runs into his twelve year old self, <laughs> who's played by a young actor named Walker uh, Scoble. Scoble, Walker Scoble, um, yeah, who is quite the find. I think he's, he's very energetic he's and very charismatic. He, he doesn't quite have the same sort of uh, Ryan Reynolds smart ass energy, but he's got a lot of energy. Yeah, and uh, Ryan Reynolds is now completely embittered as an adult, mm-hmm. and like is essentially trying to tell his twelve year old self. Your life is going to go to hell. You resent that your father died uh-huh. because uh, at that point in the 12-year-old's life, his, daughter, his father died about a year ago. Yeah. And adult Ryan Reynolds resents that his father died when he was a child and just came to resent him more as he grew up. Yeah. Uh, he also is mourning the loss of a wife who is also a time-traveling jet pilot. And uh, she's played by his, uh, Zoe Saldana. Ah. Uh, and uh, it, thanks to uh, some time-travel rigmarole, we'll meet all of these characters. Yeah. And it turns out that in the future, time travel has been taken over by an evil person mm. who an is now chasing them back in the past to prevent them from preventing this dystopian future from coming yeah, he, into play. Uh, so, yeah, we learn slowly over the course of the film that Ryan Reynolds has traveled back in time yeah. to prevent dystopia from occurring. And because the, and of the, the, because the, the machinations evil... of the plot, his, mm. his uh, plane only works based on his DNA, but he's mm. been injured in the escape. And, and so he's too injured for the plane to think it's safe for him to fly it. So he needs his younger self to operate the controls sometimes yeah so he, uh the scenes where the older and the younger uh the characters adam the older yeah. and younger adam are interacting are actually pretty good, pretty good. I, I liked the, the chemistry that the uh ryan reynolds and the kid sort of developed mm-hmm. you could tell that ryan reynolds is kind of matching this kid yeah. like quip for quip uh I would, not, I would not be surprised if, especially early on, before uh, Walker Scoble's young mm-hmm. version of the character meets Ryan Reynolds, a lot of his dialogue, when he's like talking to his bullies mm-hmm. or his mom, is very Ryan reynolds this, Which is yeah. interesting because it suggests that his personality was fully formed 
in yeah. middle school, <laughs> right. which maybe is a bit of a stretch, but I for, does, for movie language, I'm willing. To I wouldn't it. be surprised if the kid did a lot of acting exercises with Ryan Reynolds, or if Ryan Reynolds even wrote some of his dialogue oh, so yeah, that it would yeah. really feel like they're playing the same character because it does. Yeah, I'll uh, be fair; it does feel like they're playing the same character. Uh, young Adam's mom is played by Jennifer Garner because, be- of course, because uh, it's a mom character in a movie with nothing to do. You get Jennifer Garner, and let me explain something. And Jennifer to you. Garner has played moms very well. Yes, she is now America's mom. She's I've, played. I've been the for a while. Yeah. For maybe the last 15 to 20 years. And, and, and I'll say this right now. I love Jennifer Garner to pieces. I think she's good at playing the mom. Mm. It kills me she can't get better roles than this. Yeah. She's a good actor. Well, it kills me that nobody can get better roles than this because this is a severely... It's so difficult to describe this movie because there's so little to describe. That's the thing that's we so went, weird about. We it. went through all the machinations of the plot because that's the most there is to say about this movie. Yeah. All the character moments are very subdued. Yeah. All of the action is very generic. Very uh, much Ryan, so. Ryan Reynolds has uh, it's a, essentially a lightsaber. It's they like even they even say sword, like, yeah. dude, that's a lightsaber. And then he has the thing which is really common in action movies where his superpower is he can like knock a radius of people surrounding yeah. him back like 50, yeah. 15 feet. Uh, that's something Wonder Woman did. I, I've, yeah. I've seen it in several. Uh, that's something that happens all the time in the Avengers movies. Sure, just knock people back. That's yeah. the superpower now. Yeah, that's what very convenient as well. Uh, Neo did that in uh, the new Matrix movie. Yeah, there you go. It yeah, ha- instead, ha- instead of doing fight choreography yeah. for the most part, it's uh, it's really really common to the point of being generic. Here, yeah. it's just generic. Yeah, uh, he fights bad guys, but you know they're masked, so you don't feel bad when he turns them into like glitter. He murders them, and he says like when you murder them outside their timeline, it does horrible things to them, and they're like ripped apart into nothingness. Like like um, you, you remember when uh, they did Buffy the Vampire Slayer the TV series? One of the conceits was when you stab a vampire in the heart with a wooden stake they explode into dust like ashes yeah uh and the reason why is because otherwise at the end of every episode you'd have to show buffy the vampire slayer and her friends hiding corpses so that they're not arrested for doing all these brutal slayings it's just an excuse to get rid of the bodies but here they just they they mention that on top of it all it's horrifying Mm. So it's not even like Just taking the curse mm-hmm. Off the fact that We're killing these guys It actually kind of Makes it worse in a way <laughs> So he's just slaughtering um, You just You see You see your This 12 year old Sees like his Like adult self Just murder a shitload Of people And he's like I, Cool I've uh, Yeah And And I think the only actor who's really bringing it is Mark Ruffalo, who plays the dad. We'll, yeah. we'll eventually we see him in flashbacks. He's in all the ads. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's no not, not a big secret. Yeah, uh, I feel like he's actually bringing a little bit of like intense, sad sack energy. Like he is mm-hmm. acting in rings around everybody else well, in this movie. He's actually bothering to play a part. Well, because he, he—that's the thing about this movie, and that's the thing that is really keeping this movie from feeling like an Amblin movie. It's on paper. It's an Amblin movie. It's a little high concept, good family oriented ensemble. Um, centers around a youthful experience But For the most part It's not doing the emotional heavy lifting of an Amblin movie When you're mm. watching an Amblin film Along the E.T. Uh, uh, range uh-huh. Those are stories about kids Who are already in dramatic situations It might not be intense situations yeah. But dramatic situations The kid in E.T. Uh, parents got divorced Mom is really holding it together by a thread and they're feeling the loss, and there are a bunch of latchkey kids who have a lot of time to themselves. And along the way, he finds a new friend mm. who needs him more than he needs even his mom. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that makes E.T. great. It's not just because an alien landed and we did fun stuff. It's because there was a human story there before mm. the high-concept shenanigans began. 
Here, they kind of got that. Yeah, his dad's dead, and that sucks. But it happened a while ago and, already. And he's, being, and he's, he's being picked on at school. Yeah, yeah. But these are all kind of generic things. And by the time Ryan, Ryan Reynolds kind of whips all that shit out of shape within like 20 minutes mm. of being back in time. And then we don't really have this idea of... I think the problem with the movie for me is that it doesn't. it's not centered well enough. It should be all about one of them. Mm. It either should be all about young Adam... And it's focused on his emotional journey, dealing with all of these incredible things. Mm. Oh, this is, oh, I'm going to find out how I turn out. Oh, I don't turn out that good. Yeah. What does that and, mean? And, and then he like, has this reckoning about himself. And then getting to see his dad again, which you would think would be this incredible, like his dad died a year ago. I never thought I'd see him again. Time travel makes mm. it possible. It doesn't seem like that incredible an emotional moment for him. Not, not for the twelve-year-old. No, for, you'd for the think adult it would be. Ryan Reynolds, it's a little bit more. But of, the pain of a is moment. so fresh for the kid. Yeah. You'd think it would be a big fucking yeah. deal. And then Ryan Reynolds, obviously, he's a bit more jaded, but he has some of these issues, like with his wife. But as his young self, you don't have that emotional mm-hmm. connection. The reason Mark Ruffalo, I think, is so striking is because all of this, all of the real pain and trauma, hasn't happened to him yet. Mm. But he takes it all really, really seriously, and he knows he's got his son from the future twice meeting him, and he cares a lot about them. He's a loving dad. So he's got this emotional, grounded perspective that the other characters aren't allowed to have because they're too busy moving about from plot point to plot point. Mm. The movie really needed to pick a perspective here in order for it to land emotionally, because otherwise we're just looking at plot. And the plot... Isn't entirely unclever. There's some fun bits in here once in a while, but it never really explodes enough. It never really comes across as distinctive and interesting enough to justify itself. Like the action sequences are adequate. Like you'd see them on like a se- you'd see them on Legends of Tomorrow. Like it's perfectly fine action, but mm. not blockbuster action level. Yeah. Wow, spectacle. It, 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 I mean, it's a $175 million movie. I want to bring that up, yeah. because here's the deal. The visual effects in this movie are, again, also network TV adequate now. Like You'd well, see this on Supergirl, and it would look fine. Um, I, I um, One of the characters, uh-huh. uh, because it's a time travel movie, will yeah. meet a younger version of themselves. Yeah. Uh, other than Adam. Yeah. And uh, on that actor, they use digital de-aging. Badly. It's some of the worst I've seen. It looks like first generation digital DA. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's really bad. And it doesn't help that, uh, and I'm just being coy here just to sort of keep the yeah. secrets, but that character, uh, the actor playing that character is so not committed to this part. Oh, this is a, this that, is a paycheck. Role. Yeah. Th- this that, feels like, yeah. Uh, otherwise a very good actor. Very think, talented but, uh, actor. One yeah, of my favorites. Bringing, actually. bringing absolutely nothing to the role. <laughs> yeah. To the point where the two characters are interacting and they're not even bothering to modulate their voice. And it sounds, it yeah. sounds like one person is just reading off the page, both parts really quickly off yeah. camera. Yeah. Uh, so, no, it's lousy. That's, so, that's yeah, that's another thing sort of weighing. So so the, so the visual spectacle is not there. It's mediocre at best and lousy at worst. And even when you think about like, okay, they spent $175 million on it. Mm. Okay, so the visual effects, okay, they didn't spend it there. That's 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 fine. Uh maybe the locations are really cool. Takes place in a house, a garage, and the woods. Oh, and eventually an office. About a future office. And then there's a cl- uh, climax in a big uh, catwalk it, factory. Again, all kinds of shit you could see on TV for $1 million an episode. Mm. Like, it's absurd. I guess the cast got paid. In which case, good for them. But yeah, it's to... not on camera. This is a $175 million movie that looks like a $30 million movie. 
Yeah. Like, it looks inexpensive. It, it, like, it, it where looks, did that go? Uh, I, I assume I assume salaries, but probably, like seriously, yeah, probably it's ridiculous. Salaries. And yeah, it's not even like an exotic location. Like they no. got a vacation out of it. Um, yeah, there's no like they, they the, used to uh, when they advertised like blockbuster movies. They would say you've never seen a spectacle as spectacular mm-hmm. as the long ships or whatever it was, <laughs> brown boats. Yeah, well, like whatever. Like the point is, like there was always like a lot of uh, grandeur. Like you have to see Cleopatra because we spent so much money on it, mm-hmm. and it's all on camera. Holy shit. And now it's like it's been one hundred and seventy-five million dollars. Don't, Don't tell, tell anyone, anyone because it looks movie. like crap. Mm. Uh, there, there's this curious thing going on with Ryan Reynolds, mm. and and um, you can see this in Red Notice uh, oh, because because yeah. it's, it's also true with Dwayne, John, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, where they ha- they are movie stars. They are. They have that glittering, charming quality. That sort yeah. of not not necessarily great actors. I think Ryan Reynolds is a good actor. He can be. Yeah. Uh, I I think Dwayne Johnson plays himself, and that's all we need. That's all we require yeah. of Sometimes him. Sometimes he's better written than others, yeah. but yeah. But all we need is for him to sparkle and be handsome. They they get to coast on personality. Yeah. They have yeah. a certain type of character they play. Uh, they play that character well, and, and people will pay to see that character. And while both of them do have hits that we like about them, sure. uh, Ryan Reynolds was Deadpool. That was sure. a big hit. Everybody likes Deadpool. Everyone likes Deadpool. Uh, Deadpool rules. A lot uh, of people love Free Guy. Still haven't seen it, but it was a yeah. huge hit. Free Guy was also a big hit. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, for Dwayne Johnson, he was in uh, Moana. He played a voice role. But Moana, yeah, wonderful, that one. wonderful yeah. Moana. He was in the several of the Fast and Furious movies. People really mm. liked him in those. For uh, the most part, yeah. their individual films aren't really wholly beloved as much as they are. It's interesting, right? It's, it's interesting that they can coast on good looks and charm and yeah. that sort of movie star it quality, and yet still not constantly be churning out hits. It's so weird because, like, you think about like the movie stars of yesteryear, and I realize that not everyone listening is as familiar with the movie stars of yesteryear than other. Like, for example, I imagine most people listening to this show, even if you're like only casually familiar with classic cinema, you've probably heard a few names: hmm. James Dean. James Stewart, mm. Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn, a handful Humphrey, of those. Humphrey Bogart, all those, it, yeah. You've probably at least heard most of those names. And maybe you can pick them out of a lineup. I'm sure you can probably name one or two movies that they were in. Hey, if they're listening to our podcast, I, I, I would like to think. I would like to think. But, <laughs> but our, just, our listeners are well-educated. But hang on. I do want to, I do and, want to clarify. We do when not it comes ex- to film. We do not expect everybody to be on the same exact point in their journey to film. And maybe you're just getting into movies. Mm. And maybe you aren't... You haven't had as many opportunities to delve into the history of film. We all have to start somewhere. And every, every successive person starts later than the others. Mm. So you got some catching up to do. That's fine. I get it. My point is this. For every big movie star that you have heard of from, say, the 40s and the 50s, mm. there are dozens you haven't who had very successful careers. And they just don't last as long because the movies that they made aren't necessarily the ones that people still talk about or remember very much. Mm. As a result, you don't hear as much today about Joel McRae. Yeah, or Joseph Cotton. These are great actors. They were in Joseph Cotton's a better, worse example. Actually, he was in a lot of great movies, but like he was never but, the lead in them. Yeah, like he was mostly the the jo- minor character. Joseph Cotton. Films. He wasn't the like on the same level of stardom. No. As, as but he could open other you know, stars of his. But generation. he was but he was a noteworthy name, and he could be in a movie, and you'd see him to be great. You, you know, Joseph Cotton's a poor example. Joel McRae is a better example, where he was in a couple of big movies, but they weren't considered Joel McRae movies. They were considered like Preston Sturges movies or Hitchcock movies. Right. So. Yeah, they they had a successful career and they sold tickets, and then decades later, 
they're kind of forgotten because they never really had a lot of iconic roles. I think Ryan Reynolds probably has a stronger chance of of lasting, lasting fifty years history, now because yeah. Deadpool was so huge, etc. Dwayne Johnson probably will have that big, you know, boost from his like sports career, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm actually very curious how in fifty years, unless they each have some really standout movies that are likely to test last the test of time, rather than oh, that was pretty fun to watch on a Sunday afternoon in the summertime. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Jungle Cruise is going to be brought up much anymore. You know, I think that, that was just kind of there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's strange to me how ubiquitous they are and how successful they are and how much money they're making while not generally producing great film. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. And you know, again, the, they're exceptions, and, and, and but again, weird. You know, these aren't movie. Like I think Deadpool uh, is a, a, a particularly good example because I think that's a movie that was a role that played to Ryan Reynolds' strengths. Yeah, he was made for that role. He and the role kind of go together very well. You can't just sort of throw Ryan Reynolds into any role and have him match the material. Not necessarily, no. And I see what they're trying to do with something like Red Notice. It's a caper movie. Let's have a funny guy in a caper movie. On paper, works fine. In practice, bland as fuck. Yeah. And I feel the same thing about The Atom Project. This is sort of like this Amblin-esque, meeting your younger self time travel adventure. Let's put a charming, funny Ryan Reynolds in there should work no actually i think he's he's so flip you don't you don't actually get that real emotional connection you would do better with a little bit more of like a a, i guess like a sadder actor somebody who's patrick wilson patrick wilson would have been good i think patrick wilson would have would have you would you would have seen this like smart alecky kid who Mm. turned into patrick wilson or or jesse plemons would be a good one uh you know just somebody who can play up like the sadness of the character he's a A little little bit more of a defeated character he's a little too much of a movie star for the type of role this needs to be this actually needed to be more interesting than that Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah and not just uh cool and Ryan Reynolds can bring cool. He can. And he's doing what he's asked. But he's doing exactly what he's asked to he, do. But It doesn't work here. And you see him trying. There's like this scene early on where you realize that like he realizes that in the aftermath of his father's death, he didn't treat his mother very well. Mm. He's got a good line, which is your mother is taking care of you. No one's taking care of your mother. Mm. And he's right. He, the kid is young and he doesn't appreciate that mom is actually going through some serious shit right now. And he's kind of walking all over her and being like, you know, kind of a problem kid at school and mm-hmm. it's making life really, really hard for her. And he says like, you know, as I grew up, I realized I was an asshole to my mom and I love my mom. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene at a bar where he gets to just run into his mom by chance uh-huh. and say nice things to her so that she feels appreciated. And you can tell that this is supposed to be this really sweet kind of moment. And it doesn't quite hit. Yeah. It never quite, connects the way it should you know what there was a scene just like that you're talking and i was reminded yeah. of a scene in, in the movie freaky oh yeah which was a, a, oh, a horror a movie, movie where yeah a, a teenage girl and uh, a vicious serial killer swap bodies freaky friday style yeah uh fun high concept very fun uh, high concept movie. you know eight out of ten it doesn't yeah. nail everything but it's fun it's, it's, um, one, it's one of the people who did happy death day yeah. so like it's got a lot of cleverness but also it's, works as a horror movie yeah, it's great it works yeah, like horror movie. there's some fun queer stuff in yeah. there as well yes um, very much so. uh, but there's a scene in that movie where uh the teenage girl's mom sees her in the body of vince vaughn and like tries to have a conversation and sort of the things they say to each other about the teenage daughter, uh-huh. like really touches her in that moment. Yeah. 
Or they're, talk, they're like in a dressing room. Well, it's just basically like, uh, I think, talking about how you could connect with your teenage daughter better. I know I've had like a teenage, it makes yeah. up a story about how we could know about That those. moment in Freaky yeah. is way more emotionally resonant than anything in The Atom Project. Well, because it, because that is, there's a specificity to what they're going through yeah. there. Whereas in The Atom Project, it's just like, ah, my son doesn't appreciate me. And, he, and Brian Reynolds like, he will. He likes you a lot. And she's like, cool, thanks. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Was that my son from the future? And how would I know that? And there's like that moment <laughs> where she's like, wait a minute. Who was that not masked man? <laughs> I would like to think that maybe she was like really freaked out because she thought it was Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Ryan Reynolds, you just give me advice on how to raise my son? How nice of him. Um, I don't want to badmouth this movie too much because I actually think it's a perfectly pleasant watch. But it's also well, it's, completely forgettable. Well, it's, and that's the yeah. problem. It's like it never goes that extra mile. It never it never adds mm. that emotional contingent that could make it really stand out and be memorable. The action is never so exciting that that's enough and you get enough mm. spectacle from it. It just feels kind of there. Yeah, it's... it's um... To use a word I'm trying to steer myself away from to describe films, but it's content. It's something to fill the algorithm. And uh, that's not something you want from a $175 million genre entertainment picture. This actually has some modest Amblin vibe. For me, me, this is mediocrity. Some people are bringing it more than others, but it all ends up being like... I don't hate that I watched it, but I'm never going to need to see that again. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a bit of a bummer. Mm. But uh, let's talk about the last film that we're, that we're reviewing this week, and normally it's one we would have started with. But uh, it's also about uh, parent-children relationships. It is a new film from Pixar called Turning Red. It's called Seeing Red. No. <laughs> it's Turning Red. Oh, it's Turning Red. All and right, how did fine. you do that? Okay, fine. It's Turning Red. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> turning Red. It's, it's called Turning Red. Turning Red is a story of a young girl... Uh, in Canada in the early 2000s, uh, her name is Mei Lin, and her family runs a temple uh, dedicated to their ancestors, one of whom had a magical connection, so they said, to red pandas. And have you ever seen a red panda? They are fucking adorable. They're f- fuzzy little, like, cat-sized critters. Yeah. And uh, Mei Lin, our protagonist, is a very good kid. She loves her parents. She helps out around the, the, their work. She's got good grades in school. She's very attentive. She has she, friends. And she's very proud of all this. Yeah. And she should be, honestly. She's She's got her shit together uh, better then than I did. Maylin is so energetic and confident. Yeah. Uh, which is wonderful. Yeah. I love... You love the character immediately. You do. She she's is wonderful. She's so, so great. And, she's a uh, delight. Uh, and the relationship she has with her three best friends, all of which are very fully realized, they all distinctive have, like, really characters. characters. Yeah, you know who uh, you know who's the, talking based on what they say mm-hmm. and how they say it. And... Uh, w- one of her friends, uh, Abby, is like freaks out with every single line of dialogue. Uh, I love Abby. That is great. <laughs> but I, I like all of those friends. They're all and, one. Every they have very close relationship. Yeah. They're and and this is something I deeply deeply appreciate. They're never ever once treated as archetypes. No, that's a big trap that a lot of uh, kid kid movies, school set movies fall into. That yeah, the cool into, kid. They fit into like the popular clique. girl. They, the there's nerd. no there's no cliques here. They're just yeah. they have, kids with distinctive personalities and have, going to school and have a small you group know, like of friends school each. Yeah. Is, you know, it's not so cliquey as the movies would have you believe. Anyway, the plot kicks in when uh, uh, Mei Lin discovers for the first time that she might have a crush on a boy she knows as opposed to like mm. a member of a boy band this abstract concept of a well, boy and well, and this is another thing i appreciate she has a crush on several boys yeah she's a little boy crazy sure this is a movie about 
adolescent lust. Sure. Yeah, it's about it's about and discovering all the, and all the awkwardness. There it's about had. discovering your your interest in in people, whether yeah. it's the opposite sex or the same sex, or it doesn't matter. Mm. But it's about discovering. Oh, now I'm romantically interested in people, and her mother finds out about this and completely freaks out because there's a whole embarrassing incident. And when she wakes up, basically puberty has been jump started. Mm. And but instead of just having to go through the usual indignities of puberty, she is also transformed into a gigantic red panda. Yeah, like a, like an eight foot tall red panda. Yeah, like difficulty fitting in a room. Like like a red big, panda, yeah, like a monster, big, big gigantic monster, adorable the, but a monster. Uh, and the movie doesn't sugarcoat its puberty metaphor. No, it's uh, pretty fucking obvious. Yeah, in the, fact, like they she, talk about a lot of it directly. She, there, they, there's boxes of pads in this movie. Yeah. Uh, the, the the mother uses the phrase has has the red it was the red lotus bloomed or something, something along those lines. Yeah, uh, yeah, little, cute little maybe metaphor. P&A, I think it might have been. Anyway, yeah, and uh, yeah, so like so, mom just thinks. Puberty. Puberty hit today, and this is a big day for my girl. Mm. Or at least that's what we think. And then it turns out this whole turning into a, a, a red panda uh, curse mm. uh, is, is an inherited trait. Every single woman in their family goes through this. Mm. And every single woman in the family has an opportunity to basically, this is you're going to affect you for the first month. And then the next time the full moon rises, again, a lot of metaphors here. Um, Next on the full moon rises, you'll have an opportunity to expunge this from yourself forever and n- ignore this sort of wild side of you. And over the course of a month, Maylin realizes that A, she has some control over it, mm. uh, and B, she might like this side of herself and might not want to change mm. and might want to actually break this cycle of all of the people in their family sort of uh, uh, committing themselves to a very particular traditional value. Mm. And that's going to create some uh, problems and schisms within the family. Um, as metaphors go, it doesn't get a lot cleaner. Uh, we've seen a, this is part of a grand tradition of sort of uh, transformational teen media uh, in America. In particular, we had films like Teen Wolf or Teen Witch or Buffy the mm-hmm. Vampire Slayer. Uh, overseas, we had stuff like Ranma One Half or Sailor Moon to varying yeah. degrees, uh, where you know well, and, and adolescence even, comes with the ability to transform into heroes or monsters. Well, or, I mean, that's kind or, of or what, different genders even. That's kind yeah. of what the X Men have always been yeah. about. Um, one of the conceits of the X Men comics is you gain this sort of like random superpower at puberty. Exactly. Like that when you hit puberty, that's when your superpowers manifest. Which, themselves. which makes sense because like puberty, when, 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 and if you go through it, it it's, uh, it feels like your whole body is changing. Everything yeah, is yeah, changing. Yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on. My voice is different now. I'm getting all of these random emotions. Like, I, I might as well get laser vision. Why the fuck not? I may as well, yeah, and, I, and in this movie, I may as well turn into this gigantic furry monster. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how to deal with my body, and my body yeah. is completely different from something I recognize, and I'm having all these new feelings. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, the ambition of the movie then becomes how can she uh, traverse her new body as well as f- feed her lust for a boy band. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, what she tries to do is raise money to go see so the, this boy band with her friends. She essentially... Because uh, the movie, she, the them, that's like this rite of passage. They say, like, yeah. we will enter the concert girls and we will exit the concert women. Mm. You know? It's called... What is it called? Four Town. Four Town is the, the, is the, the name of the, band is and, name of the band. Uh, I don't say this. Four Town puts all, on a good show. <laughs> I think uh, Billie Eilish wrote sort of the the Four Town songs and or wrote or co-wrote. Yeah, co-wrote yeah, they're and, involved. And yeah. They're they're pretty spot on. Um, I, I, I was 
I, I admit, I, w- I was listening to some of, like, the boy band music in the uh-huh. early 2000s, so I could, yeah. like, sing you songs by Element, El- yeah. spelled L-M-N-T, um, yeah. and, and other other teen bands besides. And, and it's a clever bit of writing, too, that music, because it's very difficult to, when you're talented at something, write something a little subpar yeah. without it becoming parodic, like you're calling attention to it, like, Haha, no, I really know what I'm doing. Like those do, do, you four remember, towns... uh, do you remember Du Jour from the Josie and the Pussycats movie? I actually never saw the Josie and Pussycats movie. Oh, it, I think I, you'd enjoy it. Everyone tells me I'd enjoy it. I'm waiting for a good opportunity. I, I will definitely see it. I know it's wonderful. Everyone's told me it's wonderful. I'm sure they're right. I haven't had the opportunity yet. I'm, I'm waiting for the right moment. Um, but, uh, you know, to write those... T- and again, there's a few exceptions. There's some really good in-sync songs out there. I'm not going to pretend mm-hmm. otherwise. But... A lot of that boy band trend were songs that sound pretty good, but the lyrics are atrocious, mm. or the sentiment is weird, or they're all kind of forgettable, but they're still catchy enough that you can listen to the whole thing on the radio without even thinking about it. And they nail that. Mm. In fact, one the thing I think I love most about this movie is how specific it is. And how much detail they put in here. Like there's this whole ongoing subplot which pays off with a Tamagotchi. Remember those? <laughs> if you don't remember those, if you're too young to remember those, Tamagotchis were this interesting fad at the turn of the century. They were like little... I feel like 2002... Well, I wasn't in Toronto in 2002, no. but in America, I feel like it was little, a few years they're, before they're, that. They were, they were starting to peak, but um, Tamagotchis were like little key rings with like a little digital character on it. Like you'd see mm. like a, like with like effects that you'd see on like a digital watch, not like a good this little LCD display. Yeah. There were three buttons on it and yeah. there was uh, ostensibly inside of this little egg. Yeah. A, a living digital pet. Yeah. And you had and, to um, actually maintain its needs and feed yeah, and it. And comes from the, the yeah. Japanese word for friend, which is tomodachi. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is that to, you actually tomodachi, you had, to, yeah. Yeah, you had to feed it, take care of it, make sure it slept. Like, Cause it could die. Those things did die. They could literally die. And I think that's an interesting... They find a good way to use that throughout the story. Um, I love the hell out of this movie. And it's so sweet. It's funny. It's got really wonderful characters in it. Um, I'm not going to say it's beyond criticism. Um, There was... um, uh, Let me make sure I remember who who wrote this, actually. Uh, uh, written uh, and directed by the, the same filmmaker. Oh yeah, that, that's not who I was thinking of. Uh, Walter Shaw wrote a review of this movie, which oh, I, w- I love Walter Shaw. Walter Shaw is a brilliant, w- one of the great film uh, film critics we have. And, as far as and, I'm concerned, I don't a, always agree with him, but he's and, brilliant and a beautiful snot. Oh uh, yeah, like, when, when when he hates something oh, popular, yeah. he really he, digs. But in. he writes it in such a way yeah. that it's like he's you see exactly where he's coming from. Yeah. And here, his criticism about this movie is actually an interesting uh, perspective, and I I do want to call attention to. Please read this review. It's excellent. Where he's talking about how, unfortunately, this movie, the word he uses is a unicorn, mm. where there aren't a lot of movies, especially from Disney and especially from Pixar, uh, that are taking the perspective of uh, Chinese people or mm. Japanese people or anyone really. And the idea is that by falling back on some familiar tropes that uh-huh. we're familiar with these types of characters and these uh, ty- and these types of stories no matter how good the film is, it can never possibly feel progressive enough. And it yeah, actually ends yeah. up kind of feeding into some pre-existing storytelling dynamics, many but of which this, are a bit reductive, even if this like, movie does them well. Uh, I, I've seen this going way back. Um, Sandra Oh, who plays the mom in this movie, was in yeah. a movie called Double Happiness, which is actually, you know, covers a lot of the same ground as, yeah. as uh, Turning Red. Um, 
uh, this was also, you know, another film about sort of the Asian American experience, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, uh-huh. uh, the, the John M. Chu movie, yeah. uh, also covers a lot of this sort of intergenerational pressure, which, you know, is a, what I'm learning from the movies is very common in Chinese culture. Right. Uh, but, but one could also but call that reductive. Time, it's reductive, and it's if you use it too many times in a screenplay, it becomes a screenplay trope. It becomes no a ma- stereotype. No matter yeah. how true it is to life, it becomes a screenplay trope. Yeah, and that's why this and, is... Uh, and, and it's it's a little yeah. unfair that this movie has that much responsibility, and it doesn't have the freedom to even make any mistakes, because it does feel like it has a lot of responsibility to make up for lost time. Yeah. yeah. And that's unfortunate for me. All I can say is that's a very valid concern, but I'm, I still like the movie we got. And I still think it's a lovely film mm. made with a lot of wit and charm. The third act, I'm not gonna tell you a damn word about it. So much clever shit happens in the third act. Uh-oh. Just really good storytelling, like actually really smart you know uh, uh, playing with a lot of different uh, familiar genres and incorporating them into this teen coming of age story in an unusual but very effective way uh, uh, just a delight yeah an absolute delight um i this is one of my favorite pixar movies this is at least in my top 10 it's this is at least in my top 10 maybe it, it could rise it, it's way more frenetic uh, in a way, yeah. uh, just from scene to scene uh, than most Pixar movies are. Pixar movies are usually incredibly mannered, uh, which is yeah. in a way that I appreciate, actually, yeah. um, where they're they're going for a certain amount of emotional earnestness. And this really captures a lot of the uh, turbulence of the adolescent emotional state yeah. uh, in, in that... Uh, the main character is animated in this very creative way where she's got all these kind of like weird jerky mm. movements and just kind of like zipping around in the screen because she's just so full of energy and her friends as yeah. well. They all are kind of cop- copacetic in that way. It's only get really scaled back when she's at home with her parents. Her yeah. parents are actually much more slow moving. Yeah. Uh, more she's, reserved. She's matching yeah. their energy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that she uh, is going through all of these sort of like personal upheavals and bodily upheavals uh, and that's reflected in every scene in like just her movements and her the, mm-hmm. the, the visual like animated acting. It made me feel about how much we're kind of missing some of that stuff in Luca, which is a much mm-hmm. more uh, there's some elements of it there in the early sort of um, uh, early scenes between uh, Luca and the other mer person whose name I forget, uh, where they've got this sort of wonderful energy to each other. But yeah, that doesn't really feel like they're pubescent in that way. In that way where everyone's just like, you know, well, full of hormones little, and making mistakes. They're a little and, younger in Luca. Like, I guess they're a little like, younger. Luke, not much, though. Luca, I think, is 11. and, and that's, uh, That feels like splitting hairs to me. You don't think there's a big difference between 11 and 13. Okay. I just want to say. Right, there, there's a, there's a, lot, a lot going on in those few years. And, fair uh, enough. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that it didn't uh, shy away from its puberty metaphor. Like, yeah. it just put it right up front. To the point where it's just bleeding obvious. Yeah. I do feel like uh, there are some things they shied away from. There are definitely elements to at least one, probably two, and maybe more side characters mm-hmm. where there's definitely some queer coding going on. Yeah. And as we've recently heard from actual animators at Pixar, uh, every time they try to put any queerness in their movies, the Disney Corporation yeah. tells them to cut it out. There was... Um... There was a, a, a brief moment, it was like a split second, where it was implied one of the characters might be queer. Yes. Uh, where t- uh, two girls begin dancing together, and they pan over very quickly to their friends, and they kind of make eyes at it, like, for a second. Yeah. And but, I think that these I, two girls might have had a thing. I um, feel like there's at least one other scene with one other character that might suggest that, and if yeah. they had more freedom, they um, might have gone there. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe so. Um, 
Yeah. It's but, not a big part of the story. It's actually no, not hugely it does, important. It would have been nice to have a queer character. I feel but, like it's relevant because we're having I mean, that conversation about Disney right now. We're yeah, talking about yeah. how they've given money to politicians to help fund really horrifying anti-LGBTQIA plus uh, uh, legislation. Uh, legislation. And, and you know, now that they've been called out on it, they're like, okay, well, we'll give $5 million to a charity, which turned it down, by the way, because it's obviously an empty it was, promise. It was the, the $5 human, million dollars human is, rights campaign. Yeah, yeah, $5, million, $5, million. $5 million is nothing compared to, to what Disney. Disney does. Yeah, and Literally nothing compared to the harm that they've done and nothing in their pocketbook. And, like, that's, it's this, less yeah, than the least they could do. I've been writing this up. Yeah. I, I write for Slash Film, and so this is coming yeah. through the sort of the news cycles. I've been writing up stories on yeah. this and how the CEO has been like just putting his foot in his mouth and then opening his mouth, taking one foot out and putting the other one in. It's, yeah. just, uh, just, it's just bad. Completely awful. Yeah. And then uh, Disney has a long history of this kind yeah, of shit about being and, really regressive on, on purpose for a long, long time and, and, and only being forced into it when they think they can make money. It, it's been really frustrating to see uh, them getting the company getting credit for progressive characters when what they're doing is like the least progressive thing they could possibly do. They're trying be doing. to not, to, they're trying so hard not to give you any progressive characters that even the tiniest crumb of a progressive character yeah. is something that they are allowed to celebrate in their publicity. Yeah. And even though it's usually something so small that it could be cut out of the film mm. so that it could be released in a more here's, homophobic culture here's, without here's any a, here, fanfare. Here's a montage where two women kiss. You can cut that out in a homophobic market yeah. and, and still get credit and money. And it's, yeah. guess what? Guess what, Skizix? We know and, that's not going to work anymore. And you know, I'm bringing this up a because I think there's an element of this that kind of feels like it relates to turning red, but also because I know a lot of people who are having a serious conversation right now about how much they want to even work with Disney in terms of like reviewing their films. Mm. The question is, would it be better if we? Stopped giving them the time of day until they got their shit together, and well, I think that depends on your point of view. And I think there are a lot of film uh, a lot of film critics who can uh, make that decision for themselves. So I think where I'm where I'm standing right now is I think that we bring up their bullshit every single time we can so that no one forgets it. But I don't like the idea of letting Disney, which has an enormous market and an enormous influence on mainstream audiences mm-hmm. and children in particular. Uh, I don't like the idea of giving them a free pass to release whatever they want without any critical analysis. No, in so fact, I, I want to make sure we do talk about that, but I also want to make well, sure we I, always put the context in when it's relevant. I, I agree. I think yeah. I'm going to go one further and say that somebody that is re- a company that is reaching mm-hmm. such a large audience and owns such a large share of the entertainment marketplace needs even more scrutiny. I agree. Uh, they need more than just, you know, some, some uh, smaller studio that's only yeah. going to reach a limited audience. And you yeah. know, we'll actually probably have a lot more, I'll just say it, courage to tell a yeah. story with a m- more diverse cast and yeah. types of characters. And, uh, I, and that Disney is trying to get brownie points because yeah. they put out like publicity about how they yeah. have all these queer characters uh, for doing less than the bare minimum. Agreed. Uh, Okay, there might have been a queer character somewhere in Onward. Why isn't the main character a queer? Why isn't any of the uh, main queer characters character. queer? Why can't um, or why isn't the character who is queer mm. allowed to say so beyond one quick line of dialogue? Yeah. You know, like it's There's, bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So that's not progressive. No, uh, I've, I've heard it called passive progressive, and I like yeah. that term. I like um, that term too. Uh, so you know, when when we're having these conversations about seeing red, yeah, uh, so I said it again, turning red, turning red. Uh, 
I think it's totally legit to yeah. bring up these criticisms of the company. Yeah. Uh, and you know, a lot of the animators of Turning Red have uh, were a little bit miffed that it's going straight to their streaming service and mm. not exclusively in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, or at least both. Or at least both, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm glad it's reaching a broad audience because I actually think it's quite a good movie. Well, and just... I think this is an earnestly told story from an artist who wants to tell a good story. Disney monopolizes so much of the, of the, of the marketplace uh, in America, particularly for stuff like animation, no. but just in general. They own so many of the most successful intellectual properties. They produce so much of the movies that are being made uh, that they hire talented people and sometimes they can make really good movies. And that's something that Disney, even at the original Walt Disney's worst, and he did some really shitty things. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also did some really great things. And mostly it was because he hired talented people and let them work. Yeah, Talented people made Turning Red. And in this particular case, I think the movie is so excellent that I don't want this to get completely lost in the shuffle of a really important conversation we're having about the corporate practices. Yeah. But the movie is really good. Well, yeah. and I do want people to see this film because I think this movie is excellent. I don't. I understand maybe. if you don't want to give Disney money right now, maybe mm. wait a little bit if that's the case. But like, this is an excellent film, and I hope it finds an audience because this is a really funny, endearing, illuminating, nice. And I don't yeah, nice is a, is feels like a lousy adjective because it's mm. so generic. But it's just what a what a what a what a, what a, what a <laughs> wonderful sweet film this is. Yeah, I just it's, I adore it's it. funny. It's sweet. It's energetic. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those. The instances where the executives and even you know the makers of the movie need to watch their own stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, I I, yeah. I feel the same way about um, the movie Ender's Game. Yeah, we uh, talked about this before. Yeah. Yeah. And this this is actually a sentiment I'm repeating uh, that was put out by Dave White. So I, I yeah. I'm not taking credit. Um, but yeah, Dave White, you, we watched the movie Ender's Game, and that is a, a pacifist movie. That yes. is about welcoming the alien and realizing yeah. that a war is the ultimate grievance. Uh, not just something one civilization can do against another, no, but a, damage cyclical. to your own soul. It's and, cyclical uh, and it hurts everyone. And yeah. And, and yeah, and ultimately that bleeds directly into children who are just being yeah. fed all this propaganda. It's actually a very sophisticated idea for this movie. Yeah. Uh, the author who wrote that book, Orson Scott Card, is a horrendous homophobic bigot. Who, who has, has given a lot got, of money to horrible, horrible, to horrible things. Yeah. yeah. So you, you buy his book, some of that money is going to go to these homophobic groups. Uh, he should read Orson Scott Card. Yeah, because that and story learn would, the lessons yeah. that that are in those books. It, 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 what he has actually been supporting is antithetical to the mm. message in his best book, mm. uh, which is fucked. Yeah, so if you think about it, that sucks. Orson Scott Card is a horrendous bigot, and I don't want to give him dime one. Uh, but I think that the lessons in Ender's Game are incredibly good. Yeah, it's ironic. Uh, so yeah, if if you don't want to give money to Disney, don't. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to make you. And if you're going to boycott this gigantic entertainment company that has a monopoly on everything, fine. Yeah, there's a perfectly valid reason to do that. That that decision. They're they're too big. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And uh, it's a pity that something like uh, Turning Red is going to be sort of a casualty to that because Uh I think there's a lot of good art that the company puts out. Right. But they hire a lot of talented artists. But I think they make good entertainments. But if the message of the message of a boycott Mm -hmm. is to you know you're also making some sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes with a boycott, you know, yeah. you're cutting out something you enjoy or a convenience and yeah, yeah. Uh, because the principle is more important than that. Now, again, as critics, we're still going to be covering a lot of Disney stuff when it comes up mm-hmm. because we feel like we don't want to give them a free pass or anything. Turning Red happened to be a very good movie, but Disney also puts out a lot of crap. 
So we need to basically give them more scrutiny because that's our job, but it's not everyone's job and not everyone uh, wants to cover their job the exact same way we do. And we support them for that. So anyway, uh, just to have that conversation because it's been coming up a lot lately. Uh, Let's review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once again, the critically acclaimed scale goes from C minus to C plus. At the end of the day, we give a film one of three ratings. C plus is above average. It's okay. Yeah. Well, not just okay. Could be just okay, but it's, it's good to great Mm. anywhere in between. It's a, it's a legitimate recommendation without much reservation. C is average. Hmm. C is, you know, some people are going to be more into it than others, but it's a mixed bag. There's good, there's bad, or maybe it's only just okay or not quite terrible enough to warrant a negative rating, but there's, there's something that isn't quite clicking. Yeah. C minus is below average. That's a movie we genuinely don't recommend either because it just isn't very good or maybe it's because it's unbelievably terrible. Uh, So on that note, Whitney Seibold, Mm -hmm. where do you rate Turning Red? Uh, I give it a C plus. Mm. I like Turning Red a lot. I, I love the characters. Yeah. I love the main character. I love uh, my, my uh, only real complaint. Uh, Walter Charles' complaint is sort of yeah, yeah lurking there in the background that these are stereo. It does bank on stereotypes a bit. Yeah, and uh, like a lot of movies that are about sort of earnest emotional states, I think it gets a little too lost in action and mythology by the end, where there's yeah. like a lot of chases and stuff. But I, I was so wrapped up at that point that I was willing to forgive a lot i think they handle it yeah it's it's still quite a good movie i think they handle those elements in a clever enough way and they're Mm. still always rooted in the character dynamics that and and they could have gone in so much lazier directions in terms of action yeah than they do uh that i think it actually works i really really like this movie a lot i think this is a really wonderful coming of age film it's it's very funny Uh, it's very very sweet it's ultra specific and i think that makes it all the more universal Mm. um yeah i like it a lot and i i do hope it finds an audience um Let's stop. Uh, the Adam Project. Oh, that's a C minus. There's okay. just there's nothing to recommend this movie. Uh, it's it's slick. It's efficient. It's yeah. got big movie stars in it, and it will leave your head. And uh, that's not something you really need to spend your time with. So yeah, C minus. I'm gonna get for me. This is the definition of mediocrity. Yeah. This is yeah. just this is, which makes it a C. It's just generic. It's a generic sci-fi stuff. It's not a hard watch. There's some good bits in it. You're right, Mark Ruffalo. Kind of steals the movie because he's not trying to, he's just trying to play the character in a real way. Mm. Um, you won't remember it, but unlike Red Notice, which was just like nails on a chalkboard to me, it was so unbelievably <laughs> it was really obnoxious, so unbelievably insincere and phony. This is like, listen, we tried to make a four star movie, we had the actual uh, uh tools to make a three star movie, and then we made a two and a half star movie. Uh, and that's not great, but it's also not hard to watch. So I'll give it. A, I'll give it a, right. a, an unenthusiastic C. Uh, let's see. Then there was. Oh, I guess it was me. The seed. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about the seed anymore. It's a C minus. It's a real. I and you know me. I can be really forgiving with horror movies. I understand. Uh, uh, I understand modest ambition, and I can respect <laughs> modest ambition. Uh, this is not that. This feels yeah. like an incredibly unformed bit of cinema. Uh, it's nowhere near uh, intelligent enough to be stupid, mm. and it's not stupid enough to be fun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's somewhere in the middle there. It just it does not work at all. And I don't 
think you should see it. But hey, what do I know? And then lastly, Diana the Musical. Let's go back in time ourselves. <laughs> this is one of those, it's, it's a C-minus movie, but it's okay. also one I kind of recommend just because it has this almost like a train wreck quality. Like okay. ev- every decision is bad. The songs are really bad. It's just so misguided. Uh, it's it's one of those things that you're going to want to share with friends. So it's a C minus, but a secret C plus. Kind of a, yeah, if, kind if of a this, secret If C that plus. sounds like something you really want to see, mm. to you it's a C plus. Yeah. But to everyone else it's a C minus. Okay. I like it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we'll be back next week with more reviews. Ha ha ha. That's what we do. You, you thought you were rid of us. And they're, you, you were wrong, because we'll be back. Mm-hmm. Um, what's coming out next week, Winner? What is coming out next week? I was hoping you knew. Uh, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I, I had it all written down. Right? Uh, we've got the new horror out. thriller, Amma. We've got, uh, what do we got here? I think uh, I think Cheaper by the Dozen comes out, that new Disney remake. Okay. That's a uh, remake sa- of a sa- remake. Efron, I think. Um, and other things as well. There's a new horror movie on Amazon called Master. Uh, there's a new Ty West thriller called X. Oh, X I don't, is coming out. I don't know if we'll able to get right, to that, but yeah. I'm excited about it. I like Ty West as a director a lot. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's stuff coming up, but mostly all the big stuff got out of the way of the Batman. So, um, yeah, that's it for Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you would like to join in the conversation, anything we talked about today or anything else you would like us to discuss, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, we also have a P.O. box for people who prefer snail mail. Whitney, mm. what is our P.O. box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter. Uh, send it to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, we're also on Twitter, at Critical Acclaim. I am at Lane Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, of course, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash network, where we have a lot of exclusive shows. Uh, for people to enjoy shows about Batman, the Academy Awards, Star Trek, commentary tracks. We just released a commentary track uh, for Some Like It Hot, uh, the classic uh, queer rom-com with Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, and Marilyn Monroe. Uh, we also have a commentary track coming up very soon for St. Patrick's Day for Leprechaun. <laughs> that classic. Because we couldn't resist. Uh, we'll be well, doing sometimes that. we do good movies. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do Leprechaun. Uh, and uh, we have other stuff going on as well. We have Google Hangouts every single uh, month. Uh, so hmm. thank you to everybody who's a patron we couldn't do this without you and if you want to join in there's a lot of stuff there's a giant backlog uh, re- already waiting for you keep you busy for hundreds of hours um, and um, that's anything it. else that's it okay great thank you everybody once again and never forget everyone's a critic I wanna go to the midnight show I'm sorry what and everyone is Fabio Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.